0: This is the story of how I died. Or it's how it's the story rather of how I almost died. No, it's actually the story of how a dirt bike of mine almost died and was almost left at the Five Miles of Hell Trail, Five Miles of Hell, San Rafael Swell, Southern Central Southern Utah. This is the story, it's story time um, of how. I was stranded, how a bike left me stranded at five miles of hell. There are very few places in the state of Utah that are worse for a problem to to have happen to you. And this is exactly what happened to me. I had a bike problem at five miles of hell. And that's what today is all about is the story time. So the cool thing about you guys listening to the podcast is you guys get to hear this story before anyone else. Eventually this whole story will come out on YouTube, but you guys are going to know about it first because you are listening to the podcast. And this is just sort of a story that ends up working better over podcast form because it's just easy for me to do story time. It's, it's harder for me to tell a, a long story on YouTube, but here on the podcast, hopefully you're listening to this on your, on your way to work or on your way home from work on your way to a ride or wherever going to get groceries on date night with your wife, because I know that a ton of you guys are listening to these podcasts while you're on date night with your wives. I, why wouldn't you, I mean, (laughs) seriously, seriously, I digress. So here is the story of getting stranded at five miles of hell. I guess it was last week. I think it was last week. So it all starts with the 2019 KTM 300 XCW. This is the long-term test that I'm doing on this bike. I decided at some point that I was going to keep the bike for at least a hundred hours and see if the sucker blows up, see if the oil pump stops working and it stops running. And, uh, consequently that bike I've had I kind of, maybe I picked the wrong bike to keep for a hundred hours. I've had just a couple of little issues with it. I know that the 2019s, they just don't start as well as the 2020s. I know that because I've got multiple 2020s that I'm playing with. I've got two of them here and I have other buddies that have them. They all, the, the 19s just seem, I'm kind of over the 19s, the, the 19 TPI bikes. Um, They're good, but they're not as good as the 20. So they have continually improved them. But this was the 2019 KTM 300 XCW that I said I would keep for at least 100 hours. I might keep it longer than that. Um, I'm not exactly sure right now. As of this, as of today, I think it's got between 78 and 80 hours on it. As of right now, I'd have to go out and look at the hour meter. But I think that's where it's at. And this is also the bike that didn't run perfect. It ran really, really well. But there was always kind of like this little section of the RPM range where it felt like it was still warming up and I had a ton of fun on the bike and I had new suspension on it and it was good and it was balanced and it was everything. But as I rode it more and I got, I got closer to the 40 hour mark, I was like, I want this bike to run perfect like the other bikes that I'm riding. And it just didn't quite run perfect. And so I installed a get ECU on the bike at about 45 hours. And then the bike was running great. Again, it kind of tuned out that uh, little, <clears throat> that excuse me, that little weird spot in the RPM range and I'm like, look, I've got so many other things I got to do. So I give the bike to Sam Oldham, my buddy uh, at about 50 hours. And I say, Hey, just go dump some hours into this thing. Okay. Um, Cause I don't have time to do it. So he did. And he just, and we were just abusing the bike. I was, I was riding, it was my hard Enduro bike. I was just taking in rock gardens and we were taking it to um, these nasty places here in Utah and just abusing the bike, really just hard long-term type torture test type stuff. And then Sam took it and he did more of that. And then he gave the bike back to me. I asked him to give it back to me at about 75 hours. And I, cause I wanted to do some maintenance on the bike. I knew we kind of wanted to go do five miles of hell. And I wanted to do a few things to the bike. I wanted to put, um, a radiator fan on it because I'd been putting it on my other bikes and this bike should have had a radiator fan on it before. Um, so I wanted to do some maintenance. Um, it had had our hard hours and I wasn't going to do anything Motor like major motor related, but just wear items and things like that. So uh, we we did a full um, swap of the oil and the seals in the suspension components. Um, I had Kevin Egbert down at Moto Experts do that for me. We I'll have a uh, I did kind of a promo video for him on Facebook and Instagram, but I'll do uh, I've got a full on video that will be coming out saying, hey Kevin, what did we do and why did we do it, and should people be thinking about this, you know, sus- servicing their suspension more often? And I think we should. I'm probably Putting my, I'm definitely, you know, going too long on my suspension oil anyway. So that'll come out. So we did a suspension, uh, kind of upgrade on it, not upgrade, but a, a service. And then I did a gear oil change on the bike cause it needed it. I had done it like around 35 hours and it had 40 hours since that time. So I did a gear oil change. Um, I obviously replaced the air filter, cleaned the air filter. I put new grips on the bike cause they were pretty bad, I bled the front brake, um, because it was kind of squishy. And so I bred the f- bled the lines on the front brake. I never really did get it, uh, working as, as good as I wanted, because it's still a little squishy. Um, maybe I just don't know how to bleed brakes good. That, <laughs> that could totally be it. But I also installed new brake pads cause they were pretty worn down, um, on the front of that bike. I, again, I told you I installed the radiator fan and I had to do that twice because I used a tusk radiator fan first and it didn't work. The, the, um, the, 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 Uh, thermostat on that stopped working immediately after one ride. And so I had to replace that and get like the trail tech, um, fan kit for the bike. So I had to do that twice in that process. I replaced the coolant. I put engine ice in the bike. I think it actually had engine ice in it before, um, based off of the color, but I, I can't remember now I put new bar ends on the bike, uh, because they were all beat up from just getting slammed down. Believe it or not, it still had, um, the stock uh, levers on there. As hard as we were riding the bike, I hadn't broken a lever. i had bent one of them and then I kind of bent it back. And so I put a new clutch lever on the bike. Um, it still has the same stock hand guards. They haven't broken off. They are beat to crap, but they haven't broken off and we I hadn't broken a lever either. So replaced uh, the clutch lever, replaced the rear fender because it was completely hammered, just absolutely hammered. And so we replaced the, I replaced the fender with an old XC, not an old XC, but like probably a 2019 XC fender that I had just kicking around there, um, cleaned the bike up a lot. And I actually even just replaced the spark plug. I pulled the spark plug out and I'm like, this, this bike is getting plenty of fuel. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely not lean anymore because the spark plug was pretty black, you know, and it had gone about 72 hours or something. 75, 70, 70 hours somewhere on that spark plug. And I'm like, you know what? I'm taking it down to five miles of hell in just a few days. I'm just going to replace the spark plug. So I'd done all of this maintenance on the bike again. It wasn't anything to do with like the motor, the top end, the oil pump or anything. It was just wear items, bar ends and grips and, you know, working on my front brakes and blah, 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 just to make sure that everything is up to snuff. So then we're going to go down and do five miles of hell. Now, five miles of hell, it's funny. I've, I, I. Had never done the whole trail and I still haven't because that's what this whole thing is about is getting stranded at five miles of hell. I had done, um, I went down the first time I went to five miles of hell. I was camping with my family in San Rafael Swell area and I'd heard about, you know, five miles of hell and the red trail and the blue trail and all this stuff over there. Um, and I wanted to go check it out. So I, I just went there totally alone. I go over to the place where the sign is to the five miles of hell sign and I go and start going down that trail. And I, I don't know. I went down half mile or so. Who knows? And then I just realized this is not smart because I am alone. No one on earth, on planet earth, knows where I'm at. And so I decided I, I would live to do that another day. And that and that was early. That was five, six years ago. Um, then I went back a couple years later with uh, Sam. And I was like throwing up. We went. We were camping down there. And I wanted to go do... We, we kind of wanted to do five miles of hell, but that day I was on a 2015, um, 300 XC and I just didn't feel well. I was near vomiting and everything. And so we decided to just go out and do the red trail and the green trail and the blue trail and all those other trails. And so we did those and, and they were fun. Uh, I didn't think it was super challenging. There was a couple little spots here and there, but, uh, we just had some fun. And then I hadn't been back ridden a lot of other places, uh, but hadn't been back to five miles of hell. So we wanted to go do that. And the trip was going to be, we were going to have, um, Tyler there, um, and Sam there. So we wake up early and everybody meets at my house and we just pull my trailer down there. Um, Sam was going to ride, or Sam did ride the 2020 beta 200 RR, which actually did really, really well down there. Uh, Tyler was riding his 2020 KTM 300 XCW TPI, which is an incredible bike. I've got to do another podcast. Or videos on that because the 202300 xcw is the best xcw i've ever been on they they have done some things to the frame and some things to the suspension where that bike is awesome it is the most like an xc bike ever they're freaking amazing and i would love to own one in fact that's the one thing that is really if i'm going to keep a hard enduro bike or whatever um I thought this 2019 was gonna be the bike that I'd wanna maybe keep for a couple of years and just have it be my Hard Enduro beater bike. But the problem is now that I've ridden the 2020 three hundred XCW, it makes me not like my 2019 nearly as much. Straight up. The the it's got a new frame, um, it's got, you know, some new things on it. And then just the 2020 TPI system is just better, in my opinion, than the 2019 TPI system. So now I'm kind of broken on that one because I'd rather just have a 2020 as my <clears throat> as my long-term bike to keep around and and just use it for the hard enduro stuff, XCW. Anyway, and then I'm on the 2019 300 XCW TPI, right? So that kind of sets the stage. Sam's on the beta. Tyler's on his 2020 300, and I'm on a 2019 300. And all bikes are basically new. You know, the bike I'm riding has 75, 76 hours on it, but uh, had a lot of maintenance in the last few days before the trip. So the day sta- the day starts off great. Uh, we take pictures of the five miles of hell sign. You park, you know, we parked at the staging area and you ride like, I don't know, three to five miles over through, you know, some whoop whoop trails or whatever. <clears throat> and then you get to the sign where you're on five miles of hell. Some of the people will make a bigger loop out of it and they'll come in on the red trail and then just go past that sign and keep going down the five miles of hell and five miles of hell. As near as I can tell, it really is about five miles of the hell part. And then the end of it is probably about three miles um, where it's a lot easier. And so the whole kind of section of the five miles of trail or five miles of hell trail is about eight miles from everything I can see um, by watching a couple other videos. Um, I don't watch a lot of YouTube riding videos, I hardly watch any. But the night before I did the. Five miles of hell. I watched those. I think it was the gnarly routes guys, the guys that did five miles of hell in like 43 minutes or something. And I watched that. I hadn't watched 43 minutes of other people's riding videos for years, <laughs> but I watched that the night before. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's a couple of obstacles, but for the most part. And obviously, those guys were way better than me, but I'm like, okay, there shouldn't be anything there like too crazy. Now we start going, and I'm really enjoying the trail. i'm having a i'm having a ton of fun and i talked to the guys on the way down and i asked if they were cool with me getting some drone shots of you know of the of the trip and they said yeah that's totally cool um you know that slows down the riding and everything but uh it's one of the one of the advantages of riding with me is sometimes you get um my buddies get some cool footage of themselves doing things (laughs) um talk to tyler and sam and scott about that every once in a while you get some cool footage um And Colby and some different guys that that I've had the drone out uh, around. Anyway, so they're like, "Yeah, let's do. You can do some drone footage." So I shot, I shot one. I'm like, "Oh, this is a cool spot here with this one obstacle," and I shot some drone footage. None of you guys really have seen that yet. Maybe I put it on a little clip on one video. I can't remember on YouTube. Haven't gotten to it yet though. And then we go a little bit further and having a blast. And then Tyler's like, "Hey, if I remember, you drop down this canyon and then there's a pretty gnarly climb out the other side." If I recall, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should hit some drone footage right now since we're already stopped. So I, you know, get the drone out and I shoot Tyler going down and what, what I didn't know at the time was I was shooting him going down the Canyon uh, and then up the Canyon. That is w- basically where the crux is at five miles of hell. So we're about two miles in a mile and a half to two miles into fi- the five miles. And I shoot him going down that thing. And then I kind of shoot him going up and I get him at the base of the crux. And I can, I can recognize it from on my phone. I'm like, oh, you know, the, the little phone, the, the camera that I'm seeing, the drone footage that I'm seeing on my phone, I can recognize, oh, he's now stopped at the base of the crux. Cool. We're the first like major obstacle of the day. So I put the drone away and I go down there and I go riding up to them. And there's kind of like a little obstacle thing right before the crux. And I put out like some footage of me doing that on, um, YouTube and Instagram Not YouTube, on Facebook and Instagram, I put out a little bit, a a little thing, a little two minute video or one minute video of me doing that. And I'm seeing everything for the first time. And, you know, and there was this one section I tried to climb up it and I didn't have enough speed and I was about to wheelie over and I basically just skid down. And the bike is a little bit upside down, you know. And I was frustrated. I wanted to go back and do it again, but I thought, you know what? We've got the rest of the five miles of hell trail. I don't know exactly everything I'm going to see. I don't want to blow my wad here. I'll just uh, live to fight another day and I'll come back and I'll try to clean this section the next time. I'll know what's here. I'll know it's coming up and I'll try to clean that section. None of none of the guys in our group were able to clean that section because it's kind of nasty leading up to it. So we kind of just took the little, you know, around section and, and head up to the base of the crux and I uh, start the bike. So even though the bike was upside down, I start the bike and I go up to that, uh, you know, another hundred feet or so and shut the bike off, put the kickstand down, shut the bike off. And I'm going to do some drone footage of Tyler and Sam trying to get up the crux. And then I go to move the bike just a little bit to move it out of the way for one of these guys. And it doesn't start. And I'm like, it's just cranking. It's cranking, 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 plenty of battery power, but it's not starting. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, and I crank it for Five seconds, I stop, I let it rest. A few seconds, and I crank it for five more seconds. It doesn't start. And I'm like, the bike just ran right to here. What's going on? And I thought I remembered hearing something about, you know, maybe if these bikes get upside down, they have some sort of a sensor that shuts the shuts the power off to the fuel pump. Um, I start thinking about that. I'd heard it somewhere. And then maybe you need like the wake up dongle, the the oil pump primer dongle to like reset things. I'm going, crap, I don't have that dongle. Is that what, is that what the problem is? I don't know. So we start kind of tinkering with things. One of the first things I did right away was to start looking at fuses. And I could tell that the oil pump wasn't, I mean, the fuel pump wasn't running because you couldn't hear it anymore. When you hit the starter button on one of these TPI bikes, you get to hear the, the fuel pump right away. Boom. You can hear it pumping and priming up the system. That was no longer happening. So I'm like, oh, it isn't a spark issue. It's a fuel issue. I don't have the fuel pump. There's no power to the fuel pump. Maybe my fuel pump went bad, but I'm going to check fuses. So we pulled the seat off. And there's a little, it kind of right back by the battery, there's a bunch of relays. And there's a, and there's a one little fuse block in there that has like one 5-amp fuse and then maybe four 10-amp fuses. And they give you two spare fuses, two spare 10-amp fuses right there in the system. I'll come back to that. Um, but I, I pull all the fuses out one by one. They look good to me. I hand them to Sam. I'm like, these, do these look good to you? He's like, yeah, you can't tell. I mean, you're looking for the little burnout section there in the fuse. They're the mini fuses. Um, it's not like a full size fuse that you'd see in a car. There's, there's like three sizes of fuses. You've got a full size fuse. You've got a mini fuse. And and I'm talking about the blade fuses, the blade style fuses. And then you've got like a mini, mini one. Well, these were the mini blade style fuses and they, they all look good to me. I couldn't tell that there was any problem. So I put them all back in and, um, bike still won't start. There's still no power to that thing. So I'm wondering did my fuel pump go out? That was the first thing we thought. So we decided, well, we've got this other bike here. Let's take the fuel tank and the fuel pump off of the 2019 and let's put that over onto the 2020 bike cuz Tyler's got his 2020. Well, the the way that the wiring works and the way that everything kind of sits together, you can't um, you can't bolt up and and get everything to connect. You can't take the 2019 and connect it all um nicely over the 2020, but if we held things just perfectly, we could get the wire on his, uh, you know, the power wire on his bike his 2020 bike to clip into the power connection on the 2019. And we could get the, the fuel petcock to, uh, you know, connect the fuel disconnect to connect to his bike. And if we held it just right, weird, like off to the side, we could get my fuel tank and my fuel pump off the 29. We could get it to start Tyler's bike. So it's like okay, well we know that the my fuel pump is good. It isn't that my fuel pump has gone out. And since the fuses are good, uh we're now going to may, maybe it's the maybe we're having an ECU problem. You know, so maybe my get ECU has gone bad or something. So we swap, we pull the ECU out of Tyler's bike and it fits a little bit different way, but the pins and everything worked. And so we could put Tyler's ECU on my bike and it would and nothing would happen, you know? Um, so we're like, well, that the ECU didn't solve the problem. And what we could tell is that my fuel pump was good, but it just didn't have power. So then we start playing around with actually at that point, we were like, what are we going to do? So Tyler goes and he's like, you know what? Let's find out where the bailouts are on this trail. So I'm going to go up, I'm going to go up the crux and he did the crux a few times. And we let the bike sit there for 20 minutes, you know, untouched. Cause like, maybe it just needs to reset itself. And so we let it sit there for 20 minutes untouched and it's, we could never get the fuel pump to go. We were trying everything we could, we could think we were there playing with it for about an hour and it had a kickstart too, you know, so if we run the battery dead, we can, or lower or whatever, we can still kickstart the bike. So Tyler decides to go off and find out where one of these, how close we are to a bailout. Cause it looks like we might be pretty close to one of the bailouts in the five miles of hell trail. They have two bailout sections. If you're like, this is too much for me, or you have a bike problem or whatever, you have these bailout trails that are a little bit easier to go. And it takes you over to like this lone man trail, which is essentially almost like a side-by-side trail. That's kind of a little whooped out, but whatever you can get over onto that. And that's how a lot of people come back. They don't double back on the five miles of hell trail. They take this lone man trail all the way around. So Tyler went to go find out how far we were from one of these bailouts. And at this point I'm starting to think, Logistics with Sam, and my first, I'm like, okay, we've got, we got three options here. Number one option is I just ditch the bike over in one of these canyons um, and walk back to the truck. We're two miles in on the five miles of hell trail, and then maybe five more miles to the truck. So I'm like, it's a seven mile walk from here. It's about noon. I can easily make that. You guys could continue going. Uh, on the five miles of hell trail, and I'll just meet you back at the truck. And by the time you do the whole thing, and I walk the seven miles, we might meet back at the truck at about the same time. And and then um, a couple options from there. I either try to come back with other parts, like maybe the stock ECU, the wake up dongle, um, a couple relays or something. So I come back with three or four things that I can think of, and try and and another battery. You know, because the battery was starting to get low. I'm like maybe I come back tomorrow and walk in here with these things and try to get the bike to run. So that's option. Number one option. Number two is I walk out, um, with the, I I just walk out and I mark this with GPS and I contract a helicopter to come and lift the bike out. You know, I don't know how much that's going to cost, but in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking it's probably going to be $5,000 to get some helicopter to come over. And lift the bike out for me and bring it back over to the truck. So I can just put it in my trailer, or put it in my truck, I guess, and go. But I'm like, that's going to be freaking expensive. And it still involves me walking out. But at least it doesn't involve me, you know, walking back in with parts and not being able to get the bike running. Because I'm like, even if I come back tomorrow with, you know, any part, anything I can think of there's still no guarantee that I'm going to be able to get the bike to run. It could be some weird, crazy issue inside of some wiring loom somewhere, like some short or something that I'm not going to be able to diagnose out in the middle of freaking nowhere, you know, the middle of nowhere. And it's not really a trail that you can just, you know, ride on the back of somebody's bike. You could ride on the back of somebody's bike, or you can even have a side-by-side take you into that look into the bailout trail. But I didn't know how far the bailout trail was away. And so we're waiting for Tyler and he went out there to do some scouting. The third option for me would to be for us to drag the sucker out. So I had my toe strap, the toe straps that I sell on dirtbikechannel.com. I'm out of them right now, but I'm trying to get a few more of them in right now. So I had a toe strap and Tyler had a toe strap. And so we could use those two toe straps and Tyler and Sam could push. We could hook them onto the front forks right by the triple clamps. And they could pull the bike up these obstacles while I, while I was standing, you know, pushing it and holding it up. And that would be option number three. But I thought we could spend the entire day trying to push this bike out. And I don't know if we can, depends on how far it is to one of these bailouts. I certainly didn't want to push it up more than one Canyon. Turns out Tyler comes back and he's like, look, the bailout is maybe three quarters of a mile, half mile or so between half mile and three quarters of a mile away from here. Um, And so we'd have to push the bike up the crux, lift the bike up the crux obstacle, lift the bike the rest of the way up this canyon, drag it, pull it, whatever. And then once we get up towards the, on the bailout trail, then we could maybe tow it with my bike. So he's like, why don't we do that? And I was not in favor of it. I was kind of at a down point. I'm like, no, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the entire day. Why don't you guys just keep going and I will walk back and then I'll come back and I'll, I'll decide at that point, I'll start calling around and decide at that point, if I'm going to come back and try to do it and blow an entire day coming back here with no guarantee that I can get the bike to start. Or if I'm going to contract a helicopter, I'll make some phone calls and try to really figure out how much that would, that, that would cost. But Sam and Tyler being the good friends that they were, that they are, um, they're like, well, let's just try, let's just see how hard it is to get it up to this hill and see if we can get it out. If we decide that this is not possible, Um, then we can ditch it somewhere and you can come back and get it at some point. So, so they talked me into that, even though I'm kind of, I don't really want to do that because I'm like there, this, this might be a nightmare. And to be completely honest, if we were another two miles in or another mile in, like kind of right in between those bailout sections where we would have had to drag the bike two or three miles or two miles until we could get to a bailout, that was not going to work. Even if we would bend down like two more canyons. There's no way it was a crap ton of work, but we decided to lift the bike up the crux and lift the bike up this ledge and lift the bike up that ledge and do this stuff. And then we got it to, and it took us a couple hours, um, to just start dragging and pushing the bike like that. And it was, it was a lot of work. It was a heck of a lot of work. It was a hell of a lot of work on five miles of hell. Right. And it wasn't fun. It was one of the worst experiences I've had on a dirt bike. Um, Well, it wasn't like it was a horrible thing because then we, we got the bike up to a spot where we could start dragging it with the toe strap. And so what we do is we hook, you know, hook, hook the strap on my left foot peg, hook the other strap on Tyler's right foot peg. That's kind of the best way that we found to do this. And then what you have to do is you, you, your job on the back is to try to keep the toe strap from getting wrapped up in the, in the polling vehicles, rear wheel you know? And so you've got to stay off to the side. Well, we're on a freaking single track trail. It's a bailout trail, but it's still in a lot of ways, it's more of an intense trail than most people ride (laughs) in the country. And it's the bailout trail. And now we're dragging someone. It's one thing to tow someone down a dirt road, which we've had to do before because, you know, somebody ran out of gas or something, but this was not a dirt road. This was a single track bailout trail that isn't like the easiest trail in the whole world. It was, it would be a ton. It's a ton of fun to ride it for me, but that sucked getting drugged behind the thing. I dumped the bike a couple of times because you're going around turns, you're going around trees, you're going up obstacles. And when we'd go up an obstacle, both of us would jump off the bikes and push them. And so Tyler would be pushing his bike, um, on one side of it. I'd be off on the other side of my bike, trying to push it up these obstacles. And, And that 300 XCW was a freaking Workhorse. I couldn't believe how much it could pull and how, mu- I mean, it was a crap ton of work to pull that thing out to have it towed out, but it was so much less work than it was when we were just pushing the bike and, you know, with the three of us. And, but it was so much work. It was so much work to keep the bike because I'm getting, you know, ripped apart by trees and there are these rock things that are going, you know, those, you know, those, uh, <laughs> you know, those rock, like people will stack up rocks you know, whether I put like six or eight rocks stacked up on top of each other to mark trails or whatever. Well, there was one of those. And Tyler was trying to make his way around the thing. And I'm trying to keep the toe strap and he's in like first gear, but he's going along like maybe, maybe five, six, seven, ten 10 miles an hour. And he kind of makes a turn around one of these things. And I'm seeing those, one of those rock piles stacked up and I'm attached to him and I go, Whoa, you know, and he doesn't hear me and I don't have a choice. I either, I either, you know, take the same line that he did. And at this speed, the toe strap is going to wrap around his wheel and we might snap it. And then what, I mean, we had a backup, but I didn't want to break anything else. Um, so I decided to take the wide line around those, around the rock pile, which then meant the toe strap had to go right through the rock pile. And I'm telling him to stop. Cause I thought like something bad was going to happen. Like we were both going to, we were both going to go down and, and the toe strap was going to break. And what was funny is the, <laughs> the toe strap, I'm watching this whole thing happening in like slow motion in my mind and the toe strap just cuts through that stack of rocks, like a hot knife through butter. And Sam is right behind me on the beta 200 and he's watching the whole thing play out too. And he's like, Oh crap, Oh crap, Oh crap. And he's seeing it happening, happening. Tyler doesn't know what's happening. He's just trying to keep our momentum because we're kind of in a sandy, rocky area and he's just trying to keep going. And he's like whistle or yell or whatever, if, if you need me to stop. And I, I yell, but he doesn't hear it. Cause his bike is loud and we just go, we just take that toe strap and we just slice right through that, uh, pile of rocks and it just tumbled to the ground and we, and we kept going. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then right after that, I've got like a juniper tree right here trying to take me out and it's hit me in the hand, you know, that I've just had the broken finger and I'm trying to take my hand off there and trying to not get ripped off the bike. It was a crap load of work. I'm sweating head to toe back there, trying to keep the bike up and trying to stay on the trail and not dump it. And it was, it was not the most fun thing that I've ever done on a dirt bike let's just let's just leave it at that finally we get to the lone man trail and then it becomes much easier because it's more of a wider trail it's almost it's like a side-by-side trail and so at this point I'm like Tyler you stay to the left I'll stay to the right and then it was just a matter of trying to keep the toe strap tight because you're going up hills downhills you know in, in up ravines down ravines and when I'm going down a ravine I'm trying to drag the front brake and the rear brake and keep my toe strap tight so that it doesn't like you know Jerk and try to pull us all, pull us both over as we go then up the wash. So, suffice it to say, it was not an easy deal. And we get back to the truck. It took us hours and hours, you know, many, many hours to make this work. And we get back to the truck, and I had brought an extra bike. I'd brought my 2020 300 XC, the giveaway bike. I had brought that because I just had this funny feeling the night before when I was putting everything in the truck call it intuition call it whatever you want but i had this feeling that something was going to go wrong and so i brought a backup bike you know it's easy if, if we're going to bring the trailer anyway to put 3 bikes in it's just as easy for me to put 4 bikes in as 3 so we put you know i put i brought a backup bike and i think i know why Cause we got back to the truck and, you know, and we were even talking about that when we were out there on the trail, we're like, look, if we can pinpoint it down to one of these issues, like if we can pinpoint it, that it's the fuel tank or it's the fuel pump or it's, or it's this relay or that relay or blah, 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 then Tyler or Sam can rip back the truck. They can strip it off of my 2020 in the, in the, in the truck or in the trailer and bring that part back and then get this bike out that, you know, so we were thinking of all these things. So I had this backup bike here in the, in the trailer, knowing that I might, we might be able to use it for parts or whatever else to get this bike out, but we could never figure out how to make the bike run. And while we were even messing with this before we started the towing, we were, we were already pulling the bike up the cliffs and stuff. And then we met some guys, uh, from the gold Creek lodge up in Idaho, and they were coming down kind of as a last hurrah trip, met some really cool guys there. And even one of their mechanics was trying to help us. He was trying to help us with relays. Like let's pull this relay out of Tyler's bike and let's put it in your bike. And so we're swapping relays around and doing all this stuff. And we could just never get it to work. So we get back to the truck. I'm like, Hey guys, let's eat those subway sandwiches that we brought with us. And let's do just another quick little ride before the sun goes down. Cause I certainly didn't get my riding (laughs) fill, you know, and they were cool with that. So we ate, you know, part of our subway sandwiches. And then I jumped, we, gas back up. Not that we really needed to put any more fuel in the bikes because we didn't use that much fuel. But then we went back over to the five miles of hell starting point, And then we went right down the red trail. We go down the red trail for a ways and we're just losing light. And two of the bikes had headlights, but I didn't have a headlight on mine. And I didn't have a map uh, to show exactly where we were as, you know, how far. And so they were like, maybe we better just turn around now and head back to the truck. So we did. And so it wasn't like a, a total bust of a day. Cause we did get some riding in and we did have an adventure, um, that, um, probably not soon forget because it's one of the worst places to have a bike problem in the state of Utah. It wasn't the worst place. Cause it could have been worse if it would have broken, you know, 10 minutes before, or maybe 10 or 15 minutes after, um, it would have been worse, you know, and, and I probably would have had a helicopter, the bike out. So I bring the bike home and I get it cleaned up. And then early this week, I took it into a dealer Took it into a dealership because I'm thinking, this is going to be some crazy wire thing. um, And I'm going to let them kind of troubleshoot this. So I take it into the dealer and I call back the next day and they say, yeah, we got your bike fixed. I go down there and I ask them what the problem was. And they're like, it was a fuse. And I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I checked the fuses. I checked every fuse I could find on the bike can you show me where it is? So the tech shows me where it is and it's right in the same place. It is the same fuse block that I went to very, very first. It was the first thing that we checked on the bike. But what happened was I'm like, well, did you use them? How did you know one of these fuses was bad? Did you use like a test light or something? He's like, no, I just pulled them out one by one. And this one fuse here looked a little milky to me. So I grabbed one of your spare fuses in this, in the fuse block, put it in there and boom bike started because I had charged the battery. When I brought it home, I charged the battery and I took it to them with a fully charged battery. And he's like, yeah, as soon as I put that fuse in there, boom, the bike started running. And so then I just gave you an extra backup fuse in here. And, uh, and then I put things back together and you're good to go. And I'm looking at him and I'm just, I'm sick. Like I have this pit in my stomach and I am sick. I'm like, holy crap. I can't believe I screwed that up so bad. I don't know why the fuse went out, but fuses sometimes go out. The thing that made me so sick about this is it was the very first place I looked because it is OCAM's razor. It's like, what's wrong? Let's look for the simplest possible answer. It could be a fuse. So that's where I went first. I looked at the fuses, they looked fine to me. I gave them to Sam, they looked fine to him. Neither one of us are full time mechanics. But this full-time mechanic was like, that fuse looked a little uh, a little milky to me. So I put one of the spares in it and I'm like, I had the solution in my hand. I pulled up right now the fuse. It's a, it's a 10 amp mini blade style fuse. Right now on Amazon, I'm looking and you can buy a 50 pack of those things for $6.88. And it's free delivery because I'm a prime member. So what that means is if I take... 50 fuses, or if I take the $6 and 88 cents and I divide it by 50 fuses, it's 13.7 cents. Let's round that up and say a 14 cent fuse was the difference between me possibly leaving that bike at five miles of hell or not. What I learned from that, uh, experience is I'm going to start putting the spare fuses in a bike. If I have that problem and I've been riding now for 10 years, and this is the first time I've ever been stranded. And yes, it happened on a TPI bike. It could happen on any bike, any EFI bike, any bike, you know, these bikes are getting more complicated and yes, because it has a fuel pump, it's more complicated. It's got, it's got all these different circuits and everything. And they, so they got fuses in there and the thing, the fuse popped and left me stranded. And I had the fix in my hands right there in the fuse block. The way, that, the way that the mechanic got the bike to run is he took one of the fuses that I had all along and stuck it in. Boom, it starts running. Now there are four 10 amp fuses in there or three 10 amp fuses and then one five or four four tens and one five. The point is, um, if I would have just started systematically taking one fuse out and putting the spare fuse in, it would have been, it would have either started on the first time, the second time, the third time, or the fourth time because it's a, it's deductive. It's, it, it was there. I would have started the bike and we would have been like, huh, that's weird. I hope that it doesn't pop another fuse. And we would have continued to go. And I don't know, there could be a ghost. I mean, if it pops the fuse again, then I'll know there's some uh, others, there's some funky thing when fuses pop. It's because, you know, something is pulling, drawing too much power and it pulls too much power through that circuit. And it blows the fuse. The reason why fuses are there is to protect the other components. So you don't burn up a relay or you don't burn up a starter or you don't burn up a transistor or whatever, or a pump. It's there as a fail safe and it, something happened and it pulled too much power or maybe that fuse was just bad. It wasn't, it didn't have the right solder on it from the factory. Who knows? I I don't know. But what I do know is I almost left a $10,000 dirt bike in the middle of nowhere in the middle of five miles of hell because of 14 cent fuse, dude. I'm sick. I'm sick even telling that story. But at least I learned something, which is like, look, you can't always, it isn't always obvious that the fuse is blowing. I told that to my, I told the story to my dad. You know, he's, he was a long time auto mechanic and he's like, yeah, I just use a test light. Maybe you should take a test light with you. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm carrying so much stuff with me. I I don't want to have to carry a test light. The fuses are there, no, so maybe I should bring some extra fuses with me and just put them in my tool pack. That might not be a bad idea. But the fuses that you did have, I did have two spare fuses with me, and the the dealership just dumped another one of those ten out fuses in, put it in the spare spot, spare slot, and gave me back the bike. So then I brought the bike home and I kind of put the relays back and hung the relays back up on the hangers, which they are kind of under the airbox or in the airbox and everything, and. And I put my uh, get ECU. I hooked that back down. I wire tied everything. Got everything kind of put back together. Um, and and it's sitting in my shop. And it's got just uh, just shy of eighty hours on it. And I'm gonna go ride it again. And we're gonna put you know push it to at least a hundred hours. So I nearly lost. I was stranded on that bike at five miles of hell. And I nearly lost it or had to just come back with a helicopter. And, and get it out. And who knows how many thousands of dollars that would have been all because of a 14 cent fuse. Holy crap. So guys, story time. The moral of this story is be smarter than me and start putting some of your spare fuses in the bike. If you have a similar problem where your bike isn't going to start, maybe it's Yamaha, Honda, KTM, Husky, whatever. Um, if it's an EFI bike, it's going to have fuses. And you probably have the spares with you. You should check and see if you have spares. And if you don't have spares, put them in your toolkit um, Because that might be the difference between you walking out or riding out. You know, we were in a situation where we could drag me out, but it sucked. That was not fun. And it all could have been avoided if I had just thought, you know what? Instead of just looking at these fuses, I'm going to start plugging my spares into each one of these slots one by one. And the bike would have started because that's how the tech at the dealership started it. He used my fuse, (laughs) started plugging them in, and it started. So that's the story time, guys. Um, This story will come out in a much more condensed form on YouTube later uh, to kind of let everybody know, because I'm not hiding anything. I don't, uh, what I will say is, you know, 90% of the things I do don't ever make it to YouTube. But if there's something, if, if there's a major problem that I find, or I screw up, I'll tell you guys, you know what I mean? I can't tell you everything that I do um, because I'm only putting out a video every other day and a lot of things happen to me, (laughs) you know, so I don't put everything on YouTube, but, but I, if I, if I have warts or whatever, I'll show them to you. And so I'm going to show, Hey, look, this bike, it was part of the long-term torture test. And I blew a fuse and I was such a moron. I didn't even know it and had to drive, drag the bike back. So yeah, this is a, this is a uh, symptom of the bike becoming more complicated because here we had we had, well, we had two TPI bikes with us. One of them was totally fine. And the Beta was a carbureted bike. It doesn't have a fuel pump. It, you know, it's got a carburetor. It doesn't need a fuel pump. Only the EFI bikes need these fuel pumps. And uh, that bike was fine. The Beta was fine. It, it didn't have any problems starting. Of course, neither did Tyler's KTM and neither, neither did my other KTM. But the point is this, they, they become more complex and we need to kind of adjust how we think about things and how we prepare for things. And how we troubleshoot things and I failed should have started plugging fuses in the spare fuses in instead of just being like, oh, I can tell that isn't blown because it looks fine. It obviously wasn't fine. So that is the story of how I got stranded at five miles of hell. I hope you guys liked that story. Um, that's my story time for today. If you want, uh, it would be really helpful if you went over to wherever you're getting these podcasts. If you would leave me a rating and review, that would be Great. Um, also, if you want to support me, you can go over to Patreon. You can support me that way. You can uh, get involved with the dirt bike giveaways that we do, all those things. This is how I'm supporting my family now with this dirt bike channel thing full time. If you have topic suggestions for these podcasts, people are emailing me all the time, and I, I've got a big long list of podcast su- topic suggestions, which I thank you guys. Because now I kind of know if I'm going to go to record a podcast, I kind of just look over the list and whatever I'm feeling that day. Or if I can get an interview with that guy or an interview with this person or whatever, that's what I do. But I'm using those topic suggestions that are coming in from you to help me know um, help me know what I want to talk about. So thank you so much for those suggestions. It really, really does help out. I also just want to say thank you for all of the people that are supporting me because yesterday, and I put a post up on social media Yesterday I was riding the beta up uh, up in the mountains. Um, yeah, I, I can still do some mountain single track stuff on the beta uh, here, even though we're in the middle of November. And I was just kind of overwhelmed with um, gratitude because the guys that are supporting me and making this possible—that was my office yesterday. My office was up in the mountains riding a dirt bike, and yeah, I filmed some stuff for the eventual review, which I'll which I'll do on it, and. I filmed, you know, some more point of view riding footage on the bike. But the whole point is my office was the mountains yesterday. My job was to go out and get film on a dirt bike. And the only reason that is possible is because of the people like you out there listening and supporting and dropping a tip here or there or buying a shirt or whatever. And I can't thank you enough. It's amazing. It's incredible that this works, you know, that at least it's working so far. I don't know how long it'll work, but it's working right now just barely enough to support my family. I'm not getting rich because there's a heck of a lot of, of expenses with this. I look at the gross money that's coming in and then I look at the, the, the expenses that go out and it's there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of expenses. But it's been fun and it's been an adventure and I just wanted to thank you guys for supporting me and and helping to make sure that that, uh, help, make it, help make that possible. So remember guys, wherever you go, let's go ahead and leave a single track. That's all I've got for you. So we'll catch you in the next podcast. See ya.